All right, I'll be honest. Pay-per-view starts with one really good title match, ends with two really good title matches. The middle is ridiculous. It's NXT TakeOver Fatal 4-Way. Let's talk about it. What's going on, everybody? It's your buddy, it's your pal, Spass Phoenix, the YWC Reality Check, here with another edition of NXT Rewind. This time around, we're talking about NXT TakeOver Fatal 4-Way 2014. Now, I'm going to be a little bit honest with you guys, recording this the first day of May 2021, and the timeline of all this is going to get really, really funny, because as it stands right now, we've just recently had WrestleMania weekend, where I dropped episode one of this this particular series, it was NXT Arrival. I've got NXT TakeOver 2014 in the can. This one's going in the can. I don't know when I'm dropping them yet because I'm intending on dropping them in front of new takeovers as they come. I'm basically doing what I did with Arrival, as you guys have seen, and as you will have seen by, uh, by now with the TakeOver one as well, that uh, it's... It's the time jump. It's the thing that Jake DeMarco and I always do when we recorded something ridiculously in advance. So right now, as it stands, I'm three in the can, uh, ready to go, ready to put them out to you guys. So I only have your responses to NXT Arrival to go by and uh, to whether or not you guys like what, even what I'm doing here. But it's NXT TakeOver Fatal 4-Way. Now, First one was Arrival, before we knew what a TakeOver was, second one was TakeOver. This one is different because it sort of reinforced to us that TakeOver is the new name and we're just going to tack other things onto it. Now, it has a bunch of super generic ones to begin with, and then, as we know, it would eventually go on to be named after whatever city it's in, other than War Games, and we're not talking about War Games right now. It's not back in the CWC or the PC or the... Uh, or full sale because we are a long way from getting to where COVID is. Um, it is it's it sets the standard though. It is you know first one is takeovers. Everything else after that is takeover fill in the blank. So this one's Fatal Four Way. It's named after a WWE pay per view called WWE Fatal Four Way. And for a little bit of trivia, the the uh, main event of that pay-per-view was, ah, take a guess, take a random guess, it was a fatal four-way match between Sheamus, John Cena, Edge, and Randy Orton, but this is, it's better by virtue of being TakeOver, by virtue of not being that. It took place on Thursday, September 11th, 2014, and I will say, uh, I'm not going to say it in the in the length and breadth of the, the review itself, but they do take a moment to acknowledge uh, the fact that it is the, I believe at this point, the 13th anniversary of the 9-11 attacks. You couldn't do a pay-per-view on September 11th without acknowledging that. So shout out to them for that. We are live in Full Sail University still because we haven't moved out yet in Winter Park, Florida. We've got the weird Wikipedia attendance listing of 400 plus and the commentators are Tom Phillips, Byron Saxton, and hometown girl, for me anyway, Renee Young. Now, where's William Regal? We will get to that when we get to it. Um, I really like Renee Young on commentary. Now, she said, uh, after leaving WWE, and many, many, many times on her own podcast, The Oral Sessions, which, as funny as it sounds, is a really good podcast, that she didn't like commentary, but I really like her on commentary. Um... It's, it's unfair to compare her to Beth Phoenix, because Beth Phoenix speaks from a wrestler's perspective, and Renee Young was never a wrestler, but they do have a very similar um, 
lighthearted style. And I don't want to say, oh, they're, they're the, just the chick at the desk, so obviously they're, they're going to be more lighthearted. But it is, it is kind of true, so it makes you wonder who was coaching. I mean, uh, Michael Cole... Um, I know Michael Cole is pretty much the the head wrangler of all the commentators for all the shows, but it would really be interesting to see because because she speaks so negatively about it now. I really wonder who was coaching her along at the time. I do want to say again as well. Uh, I mentioned in Takeover they did a proper like video package introduction, the evolution of wrestling and all that sort of thing. We went uh, in in a bit of a backwards direction, and I'm going to say what I said uh, for NXT Arrival, where it's just they've just done a really really good two-hour episode of, of NXT for this show, so it's the same uh, normal weekly intro, it's that that song, uh, Coming For Ya, I think is the name of the song, somebody's eventually going to correct me down in the box below, by the time this goes out, somebody probably has already corrected me down in the box below, I forget that they do the, the cool thing where it's the WWE signature, and it sort of cuts in and out of the WWE signature to make a proper NXT signature, which is always a really good thing, but... Um, but no, it's, it is a takeover, and takeover is what it is, and takeover became what it became, but it really is what I, I came to call now sort of an elevated episode of NXT, where we talk about things like Halloween Havoc, uh, NXT Great American Bash, NXT Super Tuesday, etc. Now, also keep in mind at the time that this is when NXT was on the network. Now, there's a debate whether NXT was better on the network, whether it was better on TV, uh, I fall on both sides a little bit because I think going to TV and going to two hours give a lot more people a lot of chance to shine. But being on the network, um, you didn't get the the, the ratings debate uh, that we have. We didn't get commercial breaks as much. I mean, we got ads for WWE stuff, but you're already watching WWE television. So it was an elevated but also expanded episode of, of NXT. And the first match of the night, I mentioned this in the very first... Uh, episode of NXT Rewind, um, when we talked about Sami Zayn and Cesaro. Now, how do you want to kick off a show? How do you want to start off a show? Started off with two teams that are super over. Really refreshing to see, because as we know, across the board in WWE right now, tag team division is not, it's not their primary concern, it's not their primary focus, and all four guys in this match went to the main roster and got ruined. It's the Ascension taking on the Lucha Dragons. Uh, it's Connor and Victor taking on Sin Cara and Kalisto. Now, we got... There, I'm going to do the how did we get here in a second, but it, it's it's half of a rematch, because as you'll recall, back at NXT TakeOver 2014, it was the Ascension defending against Kalisto and El Local. Now, I don't know where in the middle. Uh, little, little secret for you, I'm not watching the individual episodes of NXT before we... Uh, before we do these pay-per-view reviews, but I don't know when Kalisto dropped El Local and teamed up with Sin Cara. It is what it is. Now, I didn't remember until after the match was over that they weren't actually called the Lucha Dragons just yet, but how did we get here? We had the Ascension. The Ascension who were over as hell, who were being pushed effectively as this dominant team. They, could, they didn't have any contenders, which is why Too Cool answered an open challenge at a rival. Uh, Sin Cara, sorry, Kalisto and El Local answered the challenge at TakeOver, but this time we had a tournament, and the Lucha Dragons in that tournament got wins over Blake and Murphy, got a win over the babyface team of Zayn and Rose, which I imagine was strange at the time, and uh, a win over the Villains. Now, Aiden English went on to do different things, and Simon Gotch went on to cut shoot interviews about Enzo Amore, who we're going to talk about later on, but this, it was just really good, like, if you, if you, 
think about going forward, what ha the jokes that the Ascension became going into the main roster. If you think about the, the lame, sort of gimmicky faction that Kalisto got sent into, and now, now, they've, uh, now most of them have been released, I think. Am I wrong with that? Am I right with that? It's, it's quite a while ago by the time you guys are watching this, but it is what it is. Um, but the Lucha House Party is a joke faction. Sin Cara evaporated into nothing. Like, absolutely nothing. Like, how did... They teamed him up with Rey Mysterio for a little while, and even that didn't work. But I will say, again, as well, is they've got uh, Jojo. Uh, uh, what's, her, what's her real name? Josiane Offerman, who's the real-life partner and mother to the children of Bray Wyatt, currently, which is great, because... What's her name? Eden something or other was absolutely terrible as a ring announcer. So we've got Jojo in, who's way better than Eden Styles. And what the hell did Eden Styles ever become? Moving on. Going into the match, Sinkara and Victor start the match as a collar and elbow tie. Body shots by Victor, springboard headbutt by Sinkara, second rope moonsault by Sinkara as well. Sinkara eats the guardrail. There's a spear into the apron by Connor. Sinkara gets his ass kicked by, by them for a long period of time. Hard Irish by Connor in a mud hole stomp. Victor works the face, pulling on the mask, and then hits it up with a face buster. We are working the head, are we not? Head scissor by Sinkara. Connor tackles him right out of the ring. Sorry, Connor tackles. Kalisto right out of the ring, so we can't get the tag. Corner splash in the back by Connor, targeting the spine now that he's done targeting the head. A series of kicks by Sankara and Inseguri by Sankara, and there's hot tags on both sides. Inseguri crossbody and a corkscrew crossbody by Kalisto. A rolling powerbomb by Kalisto and a suicide dive by Sankara. A second suicide dive by Sankara sends everybody right up the rampway as all four of them brawl on the outside. I will say, being in full sail is a much smaller venue and there's not that much space around the ring the ramp's a lot shorter and etc but it does make anybody i mean the lucha dragons are a perfect example of this but any of the high flyers that want to do the the big spots now the texas teen dream uh did that thing a couple years later where he called out ricochet and ricochet did the flip and landed on the landed on the grate and and challenged him face to face and all that sort of thing but it means that every time they do a really really effective suicide dive or any kind of like plancha type dive it it doesn't take very much for them to be shooting their opponent right up the rampway and the metal on metal sound of that particular style of rampway it just it adds something to the effect just because they're loose pieces and they jank together and all that sort of thing it's uh it's the similar comparison that i would make to the metal interlocking um crowd guardrails rather than the big spongy looking black thing that WWE main roster has around the ring for their shows. Um, anyways, the second suicide dive by Sinkara, as I say, uh, leads to a four-person brawl on the outside. I mean, Kalisto and Victor manage to scramble their way back in. STO by Victor, but Kalisto comes back with the Salida del Sol. Forgot how gorgeous that move is for the win. Lucha Dragons get the victory at 7 minutes, 45 seconds, ending the 344-day title reign of the Ascension. And if my memory serves me correctly, there's not a bad lineage being started with these particular tag team championships because these tag team championships came off the, came off the wastes of Harper and Rowan before they were on the Ascension. Somebody, again, I'm saying this off the top of my head because that part of it just popped into my head. Somebody, the box is there, the box is there for corrections. You're gonna tell me if I'm wrong, especially talking about somebody like the the late, great Luke Harper, Brody Lee, however you wanna to refer to him. But seven minutes and 48 seconds, they did a lot with this. And uh, 
I do find it interesting because the one of the upsides of a takeover is you get a lot. You get everything you want out of a takeover. I, I could even say that currently, even though they've just done a two-day one. You get a lot out of a takeover, and it's never long. Seven minutes, 48 seconds, and they put a lot in a lot of character. A lot of these two blunt objects are going to destroy you. A lot of, hey, we're the faster, more athletic, flippy guys that are going to not let you destroy us. And as I say, the Ascension even though they lost here, uh, they lost, as I say, the smaller member of the Ascension. If you want to talk about a power team, the smaller guy is going to be the less powerful one. Ate a ridiculous move like the Salida del Sol, and they were tag team champions for almost a year. It made me think, as soon as I saw the Salida del Sol while I was watching this, it made me think of that ladder match that Kalisto was in where they came off the, I think it was with one of the Usos, again. It's going to become a pun. It's going to become a cliche. Tell me down in the box below if I'm wrong. There was a ladder match on the main roster where Kalisto hit a Salida del Sol from the top of a ladder through another, like, flat laid out ladder. Salida del Sol was a really good move. He didn't use it. Like, eventually, when he became part of the Lucha house party and how lame that was towards the end, he just didn't use it anymore. We get a video package on Neville, our still current NXT world champion. Great champion, even though, as I said in the last video, the belt is ugly as hell. He's, he, he does this big thing about being cocky versus being confident. I've fought all three of my opponents tonight. I've beaten all three of my opponents tonight. Now I just have to beat them all in the same match, which is fine, which is nice. Now, the other three did video packages as well. I mean, Sami Zayn's talking about his struggle. Tyson Kidd's talking about facts, 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 because that was when he was doing that thing. And uh, Tyler Breeze is talking about being gorgeous because he's still in the mm, gorgeous Tyler Breeze thing. Now, I talked about time. I talked about time a lot in the last match. Baron Corbin versus CJ Parker went 29 seconds. Now, what happened, apparently, if you believe commentary, because where I'm watching this on the WWE Network, it didn't have the pre-show available. Uh, not that I would have watched the pre-show anyway. But apparently, CJ Parker demanded to be part of the takeover, demanded a match, demanded a match from new general manager, William Regal. William Regal's still the general manager as we speak. So I guess JBL went off and did something else. And, and here's the match. Here's the match that he gets. He gets a match against Corbin. But because we've got the focus on C.J. Parker and what a dickhead he is. I mean, he's he's an advocate. He's a he's a protester. He's he's obviously a dickhead. Again, C.J. Parker was a warning about what 2020 and 2021 are going to be like. Was he not? Um, but his 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 opponent is Corbin. I had, there's a lot of things I want to say about this. Uh, first of all, Corbin's got his hair, which is off-putting as hell, or not off-putting, but sort of startling if you've been watching WWE currently and you see the current version that we have of Baron Corbin. But also he doesn't get an entrance. CJ Parker gets his entrance and then the and then the ring announcer just says and his opponent already in the ring. Um there's a collar and elbow tie up a toss by Corbin a lariat and an end of days for the win. Uh I will say before the match even starts when they're still having their stare down, uh you can tell we're going way back in time because there are Corbin chants before the match starts and there are thank you Baron chants after he disposes of CJ Parker. Which is good. Which is really good. I uh, I remember when when uh, Baron Corbin sort of evolved into that anti-indie guy, that anti-indie character. But also, he is presented moderately like the Ascension here. He's still got like that sort of biker aesthetic. He doesn't quite have the uh, the entrance music that we would have known him by eventually. But he he 
at this point, he's new enough that they could have made him a badass. They they didn't, and then he was bald, and then he was like the commissioner of Raw for a while. And like I say, main roster ruins everybody. <sighs> main roster didn't ruin the next guy I'm going to talk about. Me too ruined the next guy that I'm going to talk about because now this is ridiculous as hell. But in a hair versus hair match, we've got Enzo Amore with Big Cass in his corner, taking on Sylvester Lafort with Marcus Louis in their corner. Now they were like the random, hey, look at us, we're foreign, therefore we're bad guys, guys. But I, w I do want to say, as I say, as I've recorded this, uh, with Big Cass being in the corner of Enzo in this, I will say W. Morrissey just debuted at Rebellion for Impact Wrestling. Uh, w. Morrissey is obviously... Uh, Big Cass, Colin Cassidy, whatever you want to, whatever you want to say. Now, anybody that follows the dirt sheets, or whatever, knows the uh, the personal struggles and the demons that he's been fighting ever since they left WWE. Uh, so, really, really good, really, really positive thing to see uh, him showing up, getting back, uh, getting back in the game, so to speak. Uh, and there's no better place for me to mention that than right here. But in five or six months, when this actually goes out, it won't be relevant anymore, which is fine. Uh, the story is Enzo had been attacked by Sylvester LaFord a couple weeks ago who came at him with a buzzer and tried to, he like shaved off a bit of his facial hair because, you know, Enzo Amore's got a little bit of a different look to him, does he not? And uh, it was made a hair versus hair match. Now, they, they went and they redid the skit. Now, shoot me in the face. I couldn't remember where Carmella came from. I, I forgot that Carmella, the only one out of this act that is still in WWE, was the girl working at the hairdressers where Enzo and Cass went to get a bucket of hair remover. Now, they have this big skit where Enzo's an idiot. He dumps over the bucket. He dumps the bucket on somebody's dog, and the dog is now bald. And it's all hilarious, and it's all fun. But, oh, my God. Everything about Enzo that I that I loved, everything about Enzo that I still love now. I want Enzo back in the WWE. I want Enzo back in NXT. I know it's not going to happen. I get it. But the whole entrance, the whole opening promo, the whole persona, the whole bit, uh, the you know the certified G, the bona fide stud, and you can't teach that in the twitchy little like everything he does is like nervous energy, but done in the right way and not Mojo Raleigh. Um, the match. <laughs> is is a match. I mean, we all know Enzo Amore was never the greatest in-ring tactician. His his thing was the, the gift of gab, not the gift of jab, to paraphrase his own quote. But uh, collar double tie, but headlock by Lafort and a knockdown. It gets reversed by Enzo. Dropkick by Enzo and a beal over the ropes by the hair by Lafort. A hangman by Lafort. A stomp and a front slam. Knee lift by Enzo. Forearm shots by Lafort. Body shots by Enzo. Lariat by Lafort. And Ca uh, Cass takes out Marcus on the outside before he can get involved. Enzo gets a really weird looking roll-up for the victory at a mere 5 minutes and 38 seconds. Now, the chants that come out of the crowd, the crowd, Jesus Christ, I, I, I have to keep saying it over and over again, Enzo and Enzo and Cass, whether you like them, whether you hate them, whether you like or hate the, uh, the idea that was going around at the time that they were the next New Age Outlaws, because they were, funny that, you know, BG James is, uh, involvement in NXT is is a thing and he just got over a heart attack so that's that's cool to see Morrissey's back in there BG James got over his heart attack it's all it's all good but the chants coming out of the crowd they, they're they're literally chanting to the chair to the chair to the chair and get the bucket and then when they get to the chair when they get to the barber's chair they do the Dudley boys thing cast does the Dudley boys thing of Enzo get the bucket and uh 
They beat the hell out of him. After the ramp, all the way up the rampway, Marcus tries to make the save. Lafort runs away. So they just do it to Marcus instead. They dump the bucket over his head after giving him a big boot, and everybody goes home happy. Sylvester Lafort and Marcus Louis, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna lie, I barely remembered that they existed. And I have no idea what happened after this, other than like Sylvester Lafort became like a discount bin cane after he had all his hair removed because he thought he was ugly and so on and so forth. And I promise, get past the less than half a minute squash match, get past the hair versus hair match where you're only really going to like it if you like Enzo and Cass, get past the one next match we're going to talk about and then we're going to be on to the good stuff. I just need you guys to stick with me for just a second. That was a really shitty way for me to end that off because that was a really horrible place for me to make a cut because there is one cool thing that's happening before the last match that we have to get through before we get to the good stuff. William Regal comes out. He's announced as the new GM and the crowd receives him really well. The commentators put him over and whatever. And he talks about how NXT is becoming the place to be plays a quick video package on the debuting Kenta. Regal introduces Kenta to the ring, talks about starting over, talks about uh, he wants to pay respect to somebody back in Japan. My knowledge of Japanese wrestling is in the toilet, as you guys know, but uh, in respect to whoever he's talking about, after cutting an extensive Japanese promo, um, to, in, in respect to somebody in his career, he's renamed himself Hideo Itami, which apparently translates into Hero of Pain, uh, which I thought was an interesting thing. I didn't know that until just now. I found it out on Wikipedia, and when does Wikipedia ever lie? Uh, the whole all the fun, all the introduction, the the graphics that say Kenta all trans, uh, transfer into into Hideo Itami. This was right before people started being able to keep their own name. You know, Kevin Steen kept half of his name, Shinsuke Nakamura, stayed Shinsuke Nakamura. Samoa Joe really broke that mold as well. But um, the attack comes, or, or should I say the interruption, comes from the Ascension. Really, really pissed off that they just lost their tag team titles. They, they beat the hell out of the new guy, toss him out of the ring. They think that job is done. They turn to Regal, who's fuming, and they say they want a rematch. Before Regal can answer, Atami comes back into the ring and kicks the shit out of both of them. So, I will say, everything I just said about the Ascension in the early parts of this uh, episode still ring true. As the tag team champions, they were the monsters to beat. But they've just lost their titles, they're coming begging for a rematch, and they just got their asses handed to them one on two. So, this part of the presentation didn't suit them well at all, other than it was the first pop, the first big reaction for uh, for the new guy in Hideo Itami. Also, I do need to say, and they make the announcement later on in the night, that he's going to be having his debut match on the next episode of NXT. I forgot how good Hideo Itami's music was. I mean, it wasn't super over the top, but it was really, it was really, really good. When you think of uh, all the stars that have come over from Japan, I'm sorry to say, more specifically, the women, the Oscars, the Kairi Sains, currently Io Shirai, we just got the debut of Saray recently as well. Um, they've all got really, really decent music and presentations and all that sort of thing, but, but Hideo Tommy's music kind of goes by the wayside. I mean, he's gone, he's not with WWE anymore. He's gone back to being Kenta in, in whatever he's pursuing. I know he did a guest spot on AEW as well, because the forbidden door is open. Ooh. Anyways, but this was really good because I think he debuted the following week. I'd have to, I'd have to double check this and I'm not going to right now because I'm kind of talking to you guys. I think he debuts against Justin Gabriel, which isn't a bad guy to debut against. And we all know that this feud, 
that he has one-on-two with the Ascension leads to the introduction of Finn Balor. And look where we are with Finn Balor in the current day. He's he's the he's come back to NXT. He's gone. He's done some fuckery on the main roster. They made him smile a bunch, and he came back home to NXT. Isn't that awesome? This is the this is sort of the genesis of that because Hideo Tommy's gone. The Ascension's gone. Balor's still here. He's still kicking ass. He was the NXT champion not too long ago with a better looking belt. Oh, yes. Now, let's get the last... Uh, I'll be clear. I'll be I'll be perfectly honest with you. I'll put my heart on my sleeve. I love NXT, but let's get the crap match out of the way. Mojo Rawley versus Bull Dempsey. How the fuck am I supposed to care about this match? It's just a brawl. It's... it's Mojo Rawley is all the wrong parts of... of you know, somebody who's had way too much sugar, and it's it's all the negative stereotypes that we've ever seen on any TV show of an obnoxious jock, but we're trying to play him off as a babyface, and Bull Dempsey is, like, boring Bronson Reed? I don't know. It's just a generic brawl, and the camera cuts are crazy. The camera, okay, the camera work in WWE has never been the best, but I will say, I think they were doing something different with the cameras here because they're trying to show how phonetic the energy of Mojo Rawley is, and it just, it, it makes the editing in the MCU seem calm. It's bad. I'm here talking to you guys about TakeOver, which is a brand that I love, within a brand that I love, but this is bad. Top rope headbutt for the win by Dempsey at 1 minute and 10 seconds, so it was mercifully short. Hits him with another one after the match is over, and I'm not rating matches here, but I would literally give this a shrug out of 10 if I was. Enzo and Cass are talking in the back. They want to know what Marcus Louis looks like. They see him talking to his partner. He's got a towel over his head, a la early days Kane after he got unmasked. They take him out to the ring. They beat him up some more. And they take the towel off his head, and he's not even bald, he's just looking patchy and weird, and this is where Marcus Louis went on to be a deranged character that that never really worked, did it? Now, you want to put a really boring guy in, in a gimmick that doesn't work, that's fine, NXT's developmental, etc., 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 but if you want to do that, don't put him with, debatably, one of the most charismatic guys on the brand at the time or since. It's a bad move, it's a bad plan. This is the genesis of a really, really bad thing to compare to the Hideo Itami introduction being the genesis of a really, really good thing. That's what I'll say about that. You know what else is really good? You know what else has always been really, really good? NXT's women's division, and particularly their champion at this point, which is, whisper it, whisper it, Charlotte. Oh, yes. How did we get here? We got Charlotte versus Bailey In August of 2013, Bailey and Charlotte had... Charlotte had started out as a relatively decent tag team, even though there was no tag team division, there were no tag team championships at the time, but they were a tag team, and they were feuding with the BFFs, which were Summer Rae, remember her, and Sasha Banks. The BFFs tried to recruit Bailey constantly, and they feuded for a quite, quite a long time. Eventually, Charlotte turned on Bailey, and she became the third member of the BFFs. The BFFs cost Bailey in a first-round match of the tournament, leading to... Uh, leading to Charlotte versus Natty at the last pay-per-view that we spoke about. Bailey pinned Charlotte on a June 12th episode of NXT in a six-woman tag, went on to beat Sasha Banks in a number one contenders match, and here we are. We've got Charlotte, we've got Bailey, and Bailey is in her... I don't want to say this the wrong way. She's in her so innocent and lovable and, and naive that she's almost an actual child stage. This is where 
this was where, and, and she did, whatever it is, even though it didn't always work for me, clearly it worked. The fans loved her. The, there, to the point where the, the Izzy girl, later later on at later takeovers, got famous as the the Bailey fan. This is the time where most people that were really into NXT were saying Bailey was going to be the next John Cena. It was working. I didn't always like it, because sometimes I thought it was a little bit over the top, but I will admit that I was in the minority with that opinion, with that assumption, etc. She's always been great in the ring. Charlotte's always been great in the ring. You're allowed to say that. You really are. Even now. Even in 2021 and going forward, you're allowed to admit that Charlotte is one of the best women on the roster. Oh, yes. Um, nice to see them It just being a straight one-on-one -on -one match, even though Charlotte is involved in a faction, and even though the last time we saw them on a pay-per-view event, they had Brett and Rick in their corners, which was nice, but we get back down to one-on-one, -on -one, it's really good. Uh, now, you didn't have the pomp and circumstance of the last one either, with Paige coming out to present the title and all that kind of thing. You just have Charlotte as your champion being fucking awesome. Shoulder tackle in the corner by Bailey to start. Uh, Charlotte eats the top turnbuckle and comes back with chops because she's a flair. Uh, this is one of those times where they refer to just as Charlotte, not as Charlotte Flair. For the record, that will go back and forth a couple of times, and I will make fun of it. Uh, boot in the back elbow by Bailey, an inverted stunner by Charlotte out of the double arm hook, which was it's a sort of an awkward transition because they both go for the double arm hook. Each one of them, I think, is trying to go for a backslide, but Charlotte turns it into an inverted stunner instead. It's it's nice, but it starts out kind of ugly. Uh, multiple knee drops by Charlotte and a hangman on the second rope. A figure four headlock by Charlotte because we're working the neck, we're working the head. Let's work the face because she turns that figure four headlock over and turns it into a face buster. Basement dropkick by Charlotte who stands on Bailey's head because we're working on the head. Mud hole by Charlotte and both met women trade strikes in the center of the ring. More knee drops by Charlotte to the face, choking her with her shin. The, the, the shin thing is something that I forgot. I mean, it happens every now and then, but I wish it happened more. The the idea of dropping your knees on somebody's face is one thing, but the idea to just slide your leg just a little bit and get that shin right across the windpipe is just... It's so grating and gritty and, and heelish, and there's something about it that's just really, really good. Because it's, it's as good as a choke, isn't it? Uh, figure four headlock by Charlotte once again, and she did that thing. The first time she did it, she rolled it over into the face buster. The second time she did it, do you remember when she used to do that rolling thing? I, I, I only can call them like a rolling slam, but she basically has her by the head with her legs, and she keeps rolling her into slams. And it's, it's something that she, I don't, I mean, she did it in her debut and maybe a couple matches after that or maybe for a year or so doesn't do it anymore is my point and it's really good because you're you're ragdoll in the body and maintaining head control you do the old Jim Ross thing you control the head you control the body it's exactly that and if you imagine a headlock being as effective as a headlock is with your arm how much bigger are the muscles in your legs it all makes sense and we're working the head and neck of Bailey and we're smashing her face in the process it's all good Charlotte stands on the head again follows up with the kitchen sink jumping forearms by Bailey uh, she did the corner spear you know the corner spear thing that Bailey used to do where she would do like the inflatable flailing tube man thing before she hit the last spear the last spear gets cut off and there's a hair takedown by Charlotte hangs her off the ropes and drags her by the head right into the mat because we're still working the head Body shots by Bailey, a top rope Frankensteiner by Bailey is probably the highlight of the match. 
uh, rolling headfirst into the bottom turnbuckle by Charlotte. A top rope moonsault by Charlotte. Doesn't get the pin, but you know what does get the pin? A natural selection. Charlotte retains at 10 minutes, 40 seconds. Post-match, there's a beatdown by Charlotte because they're in the same faction. And you know you love to hear it. The whole crowd in unison knows what the truth is at the time, telling her that she's ratchet. And Charlotte, because she's a good person deep down inside, pulls her teammate off of Bailey, has a glance sort of towards Bailey, still a heel, but knows right from wrong and knows that Sasha's a piece of shit. So, and then they walk off and... Uh, the commentators take the story from there, where it's like, you know what, Charlotte might not like Bailey, but Bailey earned her respect tonight. This was really good. This was a lot better than like. I want to say it's it's better than I remember, but that means that I thought it was bad, and it's not. It's it's a really good outing for Charlotte. It's a really good introduction if you don't know the Bailey character, and it's good all around. It is the first of oh, you know they love to do this in WWE. You know they love to do this in WWE. It's the first of their two main events. And because that idea is absolutely bullshit, here is your actual main event for the NXT Championship. A fatal four-way between Adrian Neville, Tyler Breeze, Sami Zayn, and Tyson Kidd. Now, how did we get here? How did we get here? Well, let's go through a bit of history. Neville beat Bo Dallas at a rival for the NXT Championship in the first ever NXT ladder match. Soon after that, a number one contenders battle royal was set for NXT that ended in a three-way tie between Kid, Breeze, and Zayn. Now, Tyson Kid won that triple threat match and went on to take over. Breeze and Zayn went on to have a number one contenders match at TakeOver. Breeze cheated to beat Zayn, did he not? And Neville defended his title successfully against Kid. The four of them continued to feud and continued to feud until we said, you know what? There's four of you, and it looks like you guys want to give each other a fatality. Let's make it a fatal four. That was really lame, and only because the new Mortal Kombat movie just came out. So let's pretend that I didn't say that. But they signed a Fatal 4-Way to headline the Fatal 4-Way TakeOver main event. That's convenient, is it not? Now, before we get into the match itself, I do want to say that they showed a quick clip from Monday Night Raw. I totally forgot about this, but I remember... I remember it at the time because I was making the mistake of actually of uh, actually reviewing Raw at the time. They had a random NXT match on Raw. I remember watching Raw and coming back from a commercial break, and for some reason, all the red, all the imagery, all the iconography, and everything, everything, the Trons, the the lights and everything were all yellow and it's like we're just gonna randomly show you some of our NXT guys and they give them a tag match and it was Neville and Zayn versus Kid and Breeze and I remember at the time thinking that was the greatest thing in the world now if you told me that now that we were gonna feature NXT guys on Raw now I would say fuck no <laughs> because look at the state of Raw now in a couple months, if this goes out and they've totally turned Raw around and it's entirely not what it is right now on this current day, May 1st, 2021, uh, I'll, I'll eat my words. I'll eat, the, I'll, eat the, I'll eat the gimmick hat. Yes, we're still in COVID and I haven't had a haircut yet. That's fine. But I don't want anybody from NXT going anywhere near the main roster. I want people to come back down. I want, I want more Charlotte and Finn Balor situations. I don't want more... Oh, I don't know. Anybody that's gone up to the main roster situations. Anyway, as the match starts, there's a long, dramatic four-way stare down between the four competitors, and the crowd just keeps elevating up and up. Everybody gets a chant, except the champion, because Sammy gets the Olay chance, Breeze gets the Breeze's gorgeous chance, and Tyson Kidd, because the crowd just loves him, calls him Natty's wife. 
which is wonderful. Uh, Kid and Neville, uh, Kid, Kid, Neville, Breeze, and Zane, they pair off one face, one heel each, and they brawl to the outside of the ring. Kid eats the apron on the outside. The heels tackle the faces as they get back inside the ring. Chops by Kid. The, let me just tell you that the note-taking on a Fatal 4-Way match, on a NXT-quality Fatal 4-Way takeover match, is is a bit abysmal. This is roughly 20-something minutes long. It took me about 40 minutes to watch this match, so my notes are going to suck. Bear with me. The match is awesome. My, my notes do not reflect this at all. Chops by Neville and a chop block on the ramp by Kid. Double suplex on the stage by Kid and Breeze. And then a double suplex on the ramp by Kid and Breeze. Kid kneels on Sami Zayn's face. And what did we say in the last match? Kneeling on the face is good. Uh, works over the midsection. Kid tosses Zayn into Neville off onto the apron. Sorry, tosses him into Neville, knocking them both off the apron, I should say. Breeze stands on the face because that's just what we do on this show. Kid keeps Neville out of the... Now, there's this... I wrote this once, but it happens throughout the match. Kid is taking the shit out of Sami Zayn, and, and Tyler Breeze is helping him occasionally. They keep Neville out of the match for so much of the match. It's just like, oh, he tries to get back in the ring, knocks off the apron, knocks off the rope, knocks off the... whatever. Jawbreaker by Zayn, Lariat by Kid, and a spin kick. Mounted punches by Kid, and a leg drop. He gets him in the leg drop, but Sami Zayn is in that sort of mid-suspension type position between the second and third rope, so it's a mid-air leg drop. To boot. Kid locks in in the tree of O and hits the hesitation dropkick. The hesitation dropkick is absolutely gorgeous, as you can imagine. There's corner shots by Kid, knee shots to the face because nobody needs a face. Nobody on this show needs to have a face, is the theme of the night. Back elbow by Zane, Lariat, a dropkick, and a back body drop by Neville. Dropkick by Zane, inside out, moonsault by Neville on the ramp. Crazy series of kicks by Neville, an awkward backdrop by Zane. Now, Kid throws Zane into Neville who falls off the top rope to the floor. Now let me say that one more time. Neville was on the top turnbuckle to do a top rope something. Kid sees this, grabs Sami Zayn, uses Sami Zayn as a projectile to take Neville off the top rope to the floor. Twisting Neville by Kid, some high knees by Zane, beauty shot by Breeze, uh, Tyler Breeze just goes on a kicking spree, beauty shots for every other person in the ring. There's a Tower of Doom spot where basically Sami Zayn is powerbombing Breeze and Kid who are superplexing Neville off the top rope and uh, Sami Zayn tries to get a pin, but he doesn't try to get the pin on Neville, who was at the top of the stack, so I don't really know what the logic is there. Zane and Kid trade some punches. There's a boot by Neville and a shooting star press. A sharpshooter by Kid. Neville stops Breeze from tapping out, which is a nice, neat little spot there, because Neville, sorry, Neville sees Breeze in the submission. He doesn't go in to break up the submission. He just goes in and dramatically grabs the hand to stop the tap from happening, as if he couldn't verbally submit if he was going to. Zane and Neville trade some punches. Neville gets tossed out of the ring. He's tossed out of the ring, but he's still watching what's happening in the ring. There's an exploder in the corner by Zane, a diving corner, the cross-corner DDT thing that I tried to explain last time. Haluva kick by Zane, but Zane does not get the pin because Neville pulls the, the referee out. Because Zane has just hit the Haluva kick. He's going to get the win. Pulls the referee, referee out. Sami Zayn comes out to sort of protest it. Uh, eats a super kick from Neville. Neville sees the prone, you know, the prone opponent in the ring from the Haluva kick. Hits the, hits the red arrow and retains the championship. Now, Neville retains his championship at 24 minutes and 12 seconds. This was a long match. This was 
uh, I was about to say three, four, this was four guys kicking each other's asses for about 25 minutes. The only thing, and I am going to nitpick on this, because they play it up as a storyline going forward. I watched the first couple of minutes of the next episode just out of curiosity. The fact that Neville breaks up the pin that Zane would have had, I think it's, I think he hits the, he hits the Huluva kick on Kid, I'm pretty sure. It's just, it's just fallen out of my head right this second. The fact that he, Neville, who's another competitor in the match, breaks up the pin, it is played off as, as a heel move, or it's played off as the first step towards Neville not quite being a babyface, where the whole match, everybody's been breaking up everybody else's pins, and the entire logic has been, that's what you do. It's a fatal four-way, or a triple threat, or a six-pack challenge, or however, whatever whatever pile of people matches your, is your choice. The fact that they play up one more pin breakup as a heel move at the end, it doesn't fit the rest of the match. And I know that's heartbreaking, and I know I shouldn't be nitpicking the end, because the match was great, and it ends with the red arrow, and the red arrow is always gorgeous. Neville, Adrian Neville, Pack, whatever you want to call it, because he's in AEW now, you want to call it the Black Arrow instead, there, you'd be hard-pressed to find a prettier high-flying finishing maneuver than the Red Arrow slash what, what they're calling the Black Arrow now. It caps off a really good match between four guys that are operating on all cylinders. The match itself is great. The drama is great. The one submission breakup spot by Neville is great, but there's that little tiny, nagging, little piece that doesn't make sense that just takes it a little bit away from being as perfect as I want to say it is. Match overall was fantastic. The show, like I said in the intro, the show is a show of two halves. The stuff that's good is really good. Uh, Kalisto and, and Sin Cara finally dethroning the Ascension is a cool moment. It's, it's a short match, but it's a good tag team match back when NXT knew how to do good tag team wrestling. The women's division is always on point. The main event was great. You've got some, you've got some mess in the middle. Bull Dempsey, Mojo Raleigh can fuck off. Um, Baron Corbin just going in there and owning CJ. I, I think I love that only because CJ Parker is so bad that Baron Corbin got cheered. I think that's why I love that. My own personal bias is going to mean I love the Enzo Amore stuff, but their opponents are not anything to write home about. I just like watching Enzo and Cass do Enzo and Cass stuff. So it really is a show of two halves, unless you're a fan of, of them. Real mixed bag. I would say, you know, WWE Network is what it is. I know my friends in the States are watching on Peacock, and it's a little bit more of a tricky system. But if you can, watch the first match and the last two matches. You can skip the middle, and you've got probably an hour-long show. Anyways, that was NXT Fatal 4-Way, or sorry, NXT TakeOver Fatal 4-Way 2014. Uh, I don't really know what else to say. Uh, there's more stuff coming up. There's The next one is another one with a funny name. It's Our Evolution, because they couldn't decide that revolution was a word. Anyways, I've been Spaz, your YWC Reality Check. Subscribe up there, talk down there, start a conversation, keep all these conversations going. Don't be a stranger. I will talk to each and every last one of you later, but for right now, I'm tagging out. Bye, guys.